Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bat Trucker Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen. And before we get started, I want to thank OTR Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. Their factoring program solution for taking supporting trucking companies to a whole new level. We're about to do a whole podcast on everything these guys bring to the table and the success stories that come from working with them. But for now, head on over to otrsolutions.com slash BTU to learn more, connect with their dedicated BTU team. Justin, how are you doing today, sir? All right, I'm fighting off a cold, but, you know, just take your medicine and uh, get over it. Yeah, well, it's that time of the year. Well, today we're back with our friends OTR Solutions and one of their great clients, Clayton Rams, the president and co-founder of C5 Expedite and C5 Logistics. They're a carrier and brokerage company. Uh, Clayton, how are you doing today? James, I'm doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on here. And Justin, honored to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, we like to every once in a while bring on a, a good guest, somebody that's you know has a great success story to talk about, uh, building their business up and you know thriving in the market environment we're facing with today. Uh, how did you get your business started? You know, and uh, uh, how have you uh, you know grown grew it over the years? Uh, you know, James, we so we started with one truck. Um, I think it's important to know that we are an expedited carrier, so that's our specialty. And, and what that means is uh, our fleet consists of sprinter vans, cargo vans, and straight trucks. And so we, uh, just like everybody, we started with one truck, and I was driving for another carrier actually out of Ohio. And um, my family has been in business. Uh, I've had different businesses, and I was looking for something to do. It was a low barrier of entry there for us. Um, being under 10,000 pounds at 10,000 GVW. So it's e- easy for me to get into. And, and honestly, just I love being over the road. So I was a first driver. And um, actually, my dad my dad and I are 50-50 partners. And um, so he said, hey, uh, if you want to start a business, I'll help you start. How is um, – see, that's, that's funny because my dad and I were actually looking into starting something like that similarly when um, we were driving together. And – at the time we were driving for a company that hauled uh, military freight and we approached our boss uh, and said, Hey, you know, we'd like to buy, buy a van and, and uh, haul the same freight. And he didn't, he kind of nixed the idea because the way that they make their money is they we drove, we drove drawn, what they call drawn trains, basically a, fl- a flatbed trailer with, you know, five, six, seven dormitory boxes on there. Um, so the more loads you can haul, the more money you're making in, you're raking in. Um, Absolutely. How has, you know, how is like driving a smaller vehicle impacted, you know, your earnings potential or is, are the lows that you're looking at completely different than what you would see on a typical um, freight board for a full trailer? Yeah, I would, I would say that it's a very niche market and it's, um, Mm -hmm. we still did use some load boards, but it's a much smaller volume of freight than looking at a, a, say DAT board. Um, as for revenue, what's great about us is um, we don't have the DOT regulations under 10,000 um, pounds. Of course, we do do uh, make sure our drivers uh, are healthy and still pass DOT physicals and have a good driving record. But um, although it's smaller smaller revenue per load, we are able to drive more miles without the logbook, um, which has really been fantastic. Yeah, correct me if I'm mistaken. What I what I've read on this before is like you don't need a commercial driver's license to be driving these vehicles, but you do need a medical card. Is that how that works? I yes, yep, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, under ten thousand pounds is almost not even considered a commercial vehicle um, pertaining to the to the DOT. But uh, of course, for for all other aspects, we we want to protect ourselves regardless, and the drivers, of course. Mm-hmm. No, I, I always like that term expedited. So these are, these are, you know, we call them hotshot loads. Um, what are like some of the typical loads you guys are hauling? Are you on a dedicated lane or is it just some factory somewhere has an emergency and they need their part yesterday and that's where you guys show up? So the way we work, we have owner operators now. We've got about 75 owner operators that are, are nationwide. And so we work with a whole array of customers, um, Typically, working with customers expedited is a very small portion of their freight, and so it, it's caused us to have to have a large amount of customers to um, fulfill all of our um, our trucks, to fulfill uh, loading all of our trucks. Um, but I would say mostly it's auto parts. We do work with uh, hmm. uh, cust- 
customer that um, do some dedicated stuff um, for Daimler, um, which is connected with Mercedes. So I wouldn't say there's much dedicated freight when it comes to expedited. It's usually la very last minute, but from time to time, uh, customers do like having the same carrier on their shipment just to provide consistency and uh, transparency from their end. Yeah, auto parts are like, you know, everybody's short on parts right now. So any, anybody who can get their parts to them faster, you know, that's, that's, that's definitely in high demand. So uh, congratulations on, on scoring that. Absolutely. Um, how have you, how have you hooked up with uh, OTR Solutions? Yeah, so OTR Solutions, we got connected with them just a couple of years ago. We originally started out with uh, another company, I won't say their name, but we just had a very poor experience um, with them. And when we wanted to leave, they wanted to give us troubles and and, and um, try to figure out how we wouldn't be able to and, and really tie up our cash, our capital, um, because they have... I don't know if, uh, the right wording here, but first right of refusal, or they they um, they're buying our invoices, so they it's basically having a lien on us, so we can't collect payment. They have to collect it for us. Mm. So we when we're when we're at the mercy of them, uh, it can be pretty scary. But um, we did come across OTR and Jonathan McCormick, uh, super easy to work with, and kind of in a in a very stressful time with this other company. They, they did make it pretty smooth. And um, what, we, what we love about working with OTR is that um, I would say most of the time, these smaller companies uh, will work with OTR. And as people get larger, they try to steer away from that. But um, for us, we it, it's allowed us to not ever have a, a cash flow problem. And we want to pay our drivers weekly, which uh, I think they appreciate as well. Yeah, Rooster, you can probably drill down on that. You know, trying to get uh, <laughs> trying to get paid. Yeah, me being the owner operator guy, suspicions of who who you're talking about are abound. But uh, <laughs> yeah, not only are you a president, co-founder C five Expedite, you're also part of C five Logistics. You're also your own broker. Uh, How is that relationship advantageous, especially now in the AB five environment, California, where you know, uh, there's uh, not going to be much of a, not going to be uh, independent contractors anymore. Right. Honestly, um, short answer is holding my breath. Not sure how it's going to play out. Um, with with the brokerage side, it is nice because <laughs> kind of gives us both sides of the perspective. Carriers, um, I think, can get frustrated with the brokers and vice versa. So having both gives us a lot of visibility. And they work very hand in hand together. So uh, hard to say what what the future is going to hold with that new ruling in California and how that'll affect other states. Do you currently have drivers in California right now? Um, no. So we we make sure that we don't um, no owner operators. They they can drive to California, but the, um, not based or licensed in California. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, we we've been talking about AB five for a while now. We our opinion is basically it's, it's just the wrong tool. Like we totally get what problem they're trying to solve, but it's, it's too broad. It, it's too all encompassing and it's just going to, it's, it's sucking up too many things that aren't related to it right now. Right. As, as we're seeing. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's pretty unfortunate. So you've been a, a client OTR for about two years now. Uh, uh, what advice would you have for other carriers that are not happy with their factoring companies and they're looking for a change, you know, we always tell people you know, to you know shop around, uh, use your best judgment, ask other opinions from uh, drivers and business owner owners that use the company you're thinking about. You know we've heard nothing but great things from OTR Solutions and all their clients. Uh, what advice would you have for somebody that is having issues? You know, like you were saying, you know, that's uh, trying to use uh, use your outstanding bills due as a you know. Uh, hostage tactic. Right. Yeah, ab absolutely. Working with OTR, I would say they're very cu customer driven, which makes it very pleasant to work with. Um, and they do have experience working with other factoring companies. And what happens is uh, there's a typically a buyout. And so they'll buy the invoices from the other factoring company. And so if you feel nervous or, or frustrated or stressful, uh, OTR 
does have the experience to guide you through that and what the steps look like to get transitioned over to them. And how long have you been partnered with uh, OTR? So we've been uh, partnering with OTR, I believe it's going on uh, four years now that we've been with them. Hmm. Yeah, the first six months, I, I can understand, you know, everyone's kind of nervous about seeing how things work out, but it's it's really hard to flee somebody for four years straight and uh, not get caught. Right. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear you guys are going strong for four years and uh, hope for uh, many, many more. For sure. Absolutely. Um, where do you where do you hope to see your company going forward here? Uh, speaking of which, with OTR in the future, they've, are you, they've, are you want to expand? Like, do you want to hire more drivers, or just you know yeah. maybe get into you know more actual commercial vehicles? Or are you just kind of comfortable uh, staying in your lane, so to speak? So when it comes to our own fleet, we do want to stick to the uh, under ten thousand GVW. We it works well for us, and then on the brokerage side, we will um, really broker anything from any anywhere from a cargo van up to a uh, dry van, uh, flatbed. We've done some air expedite shipments. Um, as, as growing with OTR, I would say we're very satisfied and, and don't have any reason to leave or um, any, any kind of timetable time with them. And as long as they continue to be generous with us on the, on the rate we've negotiated, uh, which they have been, happy to stick with them. Um, we hear this talking point all the time and throughout the trucking industry have a quote unquote driver shortage being that you're in the, the smaller vehicles. Uh, how hard or easier is it, has it been for you to find, uh, drivers? Yeah. So the, the interesting for us is that, um, I feel like the CDL drivers, uh, commercial vehicle license drivers is very challenging. I think it's a very needed, needed thing for us, not needing that. Uh, very easy barrier to entry with us. So we are able to, um, we get quite a lot of uh, recruits and we've we've got a very efficient recruiting department that do a really good job. Our, um, because there's not, because there's not DOT restrictions on our vehicles, we have to put in place our own restrictions. Um, that being their uh, driving record, the state they're in, uh, their their health and physical, we have to monitor different different things. So we have to kind of take it upon ourselves because we don't have those same DOT uh, restrictions. And we also do inspections and we're working on getting cameras in the vehicle. So I would say the more challenge for us is having such an array of drivers because it's easy, easy entry and having to put in these things in place to make sure that um, – these drivers have experience and will be safe on the road. And do they typically stick around? Because, you know, our counter to that talking point narrative is always, there's not really a driver shortage. It's a driver retention problem. You know, you got yeah. mega carriers that have, you know, turnover rates of over 150% in some places. How's the turnover for you guys? The turnover is something we've been working on. Uh, we have had an issue with it in the past and we've, we've hired some additional people to, and have made a lot of changes in how to make the driver more aware of kind of what they're getting into. Uh, could can look great mm-hmm. on from the front end, but we've tried to with driver retention make them more aware so they they don't feel have to feel frustrated with dispatch because maybe they um, don't fully understand how how they operate or um, or maybe there's a lack of communication from dispatch so. I know drivers, drivers out on the road being by themselves, you're, you're constantly dealing with different people and emotions. And so it's, um, well, just like being a commercial driver, you can have all the holiday plans and family trips and stuff you want. But you know, if you're 3000 miles from home, you know, <laughs> you have to put those plans on hold. Right. Um, what are the, because you guys aren't driving like, you know, sleeper berths or anything, what's like the typical length of travel for some of these loads? So the, the drivers do, uh, typically in the sprinter vans, they um, do kind of a Murphy bed style, so where, the, where their mm-hmm. bed will flip up behind the, the driver's seat there, and which will allow them to, of course, sleep and um, maybe not as comfortable as a sleeper berth. And so they will time to time. Um, You'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> maybe so. Those mattresses can be pretty thin, aren't they, Rooster? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Talking about the, the vans, you know, this whole B 
big electric vehicle push. Um, uh, have you been looking into that, you know, uh, seeing what the options are, uh, possibly like uh, looking into purchasing like some uh, uh, liquid natural gas, liquid propane power trucks, uh, possibly you know, if some of these electric you know, battery electric vehicles ever get their trucks on the road, uh, looking at some of those options coming from, uh, I, I believe it's GM that may be running a electric van here pretty soon. I, I, I haven't been aware of, um, electric van, but I know it's, I know it's coming and, um, really hard to say. I, I think we're a long ways from fully replacing the, um, what we currently have. I feel like we're a long ways from it. It's, um, yes, it's out there, but it's a very small percentage at this point. And so, um, I'm kind of just waiting to see, see if it's successful. I, f- I feel like that's what is happening now. They're kind of testing it out to see, okay, is this something that's going to work? Or is this a better option? And um, so we'll kind of wait and see, see what happens for us. Yeah. I don't see the infrastructure in place for, I mean, everything we're seeing now is, is commuters, you know, it's all cars. Um, but as far as like delivery vans and delivery trucks, you're either going to have to stop at your know, chargers along the way or hope that whatever shipper or receiver you're going to has somewhere for you to plug in and charge. Then you got to also consider all the other vehicles that are waiting to charge in front of and behind you too. So that's right. Yeah, We're still, I, I still think we're a long ways away from uh, anything like that getting up off the ground. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How's no, how's the change in the freight cycle been for you? We've uh, we're coming off the, you know, the, big mountaintop of five dollars a mile freight you know capacity being tight now we're down in the bottom uh i, I believe today i saw uh, average 195 a mile uh and you know gasoline's coming down but not really as fast as it should but diesel still climbing you know we're seeing averages of i believe it was 523 528 was last mm. reported uh, how's those changes affected you and in, in the way your business has been here the last couple of years? Yeah, so you guys, I'm sure, have noticed, but April 1, it, it just kind of um, took a dive. We, we were strong there um, right after the lockdowns up until the first quarter of this year, but April 1, it was kind of a – we actually had a record record month for both businesses in March, and April 1 was kind of a shock to us, and here we're in October – uh, it definitely does make a difference, and a lot of guys have gotten into the industry, and um, definitely a lot of shifting and changing, and it certainly has affected us. Um, I think every everyone's situation is a little bit different. Uh, we've actually been bringing on more owner-operators, I think, because of what their current solution is uh, isn't working for them, and so they, they do enjoy the market, and they want to stay in the market, and so I think drivers are looking for different uh, opportunities um, with medium and larger sized companies to continue to run run freight, and that's what's happening for us. You no, know, these these are guys that were already running off Sprinter operations themselves, and they're just signing on with you guys. Or are these guys coming from you know large commercial trucks and stepping down into uh, uh, the expedited freight? Uh, they typically they they are already in the the Sprinter van business, and so coming over to our fleet. Yeah, I really uh, need to start looking into these guys again. Back uh, probably, I think November last year, I was looking at uh, some YouTube channels of guys that it was so good at the time that you could literally just rent a pickup truck uh, and haul freight that way. And then guys were making a killing doing that. I, I can't imagine any of these guys are still doing that today. Certainly. Yeah, it's it, it's tough. Hmm. Been, it's been tough. You know, and our... our our CEO Craig's been, you know, on fire in the last couple of months because all he's been doing is you just, you just look at the data and you see this freight recession coming, and people start calling Chicken Little, thinking he was, you know, all doom and gloom. But when you see the rate of freight plummeting off a cliff coming from China, you know that's obviously going to have impacts uh, on freight here. Um, were For you guys sure. paying attention to this, or did this all did this all catch you off guard, like uh, everybody else not paying attention? I would say it caught, off, caught us off guard, especially after having a record month in April 1. I really felt like mm-hmm. April 1 fell off a cliff. And so uh, on, a posit- on a positive side, 
we try to look at things, um, of course, as, as optimistic and positive as possible. The freight industry is a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And so mm-hmm. um, we're a small to medium-sized carrier and broker. And I feel like even in, in the downturn, it will, uh, we, we still have a lot of room to grow and a lot kind of gives us an, I would say, an opportunity to grab more market share, um, looking at different ways that we can differentiate ourselves from um, from others. Uh, I try to look at look at it as a opportunity. Um, so, how useful are the tools for your drivers? OTR solutions have available for them. The uh, they have their fuel card program, uh, their uh, instant funding program, where they can get paid. Uh, as soon as the bill's done, uh, your Sprinter van, I doubt, I don't know if you got do much with lumpers other than maybe like a, I don't, do, do they even have uh, like forklift fees to pay to get loaded, unloaded? Uh, how, how useful has tools, uh, OTR's disposal been for your drivers? Actually, our, um, our drivers that I'm aware of haven't used, uh, the OTR in that, in that fashion. What we do, our model is that OTR, we work directly with OTR and take care, take care of the back office stuff with with our drivers. And if they need any type of advances, um, we take care of that from our end. As, as, for, as for fuel cards, okay. um, yep. So good good question though. I should okay. I should look more into that for our drivers. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, Rooster, Rooster thinks about all this stuff because he's coming from the owner operator, and I was always right. a company driver, so I never had to think about any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. important. Well, I, I got a small amount of knowledge on expediting. You know, I was a Landstar BCO for about three years, and they have their expedited uh, division, which you know I, I learned a little bit about. Uh, most you, you're saying most of you guys do auto parts for the for uh, Daimler Mercedes Benz. Uh, are any of them in the like white glove specialized, you know, uh, uh, very high, high tense of sensitive freight? Yeah, we do a lot of that with our, with our broker side. Um, a lot of, a lot of white glove or team service, lift gate teams, um, white glove service for sure. We, we do a lot, a lot of that, a fair amount of that. Yeah. That's what my dad and I were looking into because the benefits of, Doing that kind of first of all, that, that stuff pays a lot better. You're right. going into yeah. like some cool areas, <laughs> you know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot cool. It's a lot of fun, like going into a museum, you know, picking up fine art at a museum and making sure it gets to its destination, all in one piece. But you also have the benefit of, you know, being in a smaller vehicle, you can park the thing anywhere. And we're seeing right. all kinds of news today about truck driver shortages. Or, I'm sorry, truck parking shortages. There's ever there's. 11 trucks for every one spot available. Uh, definitely not a problem for you guys, I imagine. Um, we do still run into it from time to time because um, there, I'd say there are a fair amount of uh, sprinters on the road, and then um, these guys are sharing spaces with um, people that are, might be uh, driving an RV. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we can run into it still from time to time, and uh, especially hot areas. Not sure if it's the same level. I'd imagine, I'd imagine too, depending on where you're at, you know, the van has, you know, commercial markings all over it and they try to chase those guys off anyway. We we would see that all the time. You know, we park, you know, park at a Walmart somewhere and within five minutes of you getting out of the truck, the manager's already coming to you. Hey, you got to move. You got to move. And it's like, well, I'm doing some shopping here, man. Yeah. But they don't chase the RVs away. They got to chase away the trucks. (laughs) Yeah. It's too bad. Yeah. Uh, If you have a, if you have a some kind of biz company or, or commercial, they can tell that it's commercial. They're chasing you out of there. It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, coming off the tail end of the COVID pandemic, you know, we saw at the at the big onset just the massive amounts of PPE being shipped. You know, masks, gloves, uh, supplies. Uh, how, how much business were you getting off of that in the expedited market? I would say that. That turned for a period of time that was maybe uh, 10 to 20 percent of our business. Uh, as a lot of other hmm. uh, companies shut down or, or transitioned to PPE gear, I would say, um, and honestly, could have could have been even more for a, a period of time. There, it was such a necessary thing. It's funny how you can always tell the importance of what's breaking down based on like what everybody's hauling. So in the beginning, it was PPE because that's what everybody was wanting. 
And then now we're seeing with the supply chain issues, nobody's buying new equipment anymore. Or if they're trying to buy used equipment, the used, used equipment was going up. Now it's going down a little bit. But now parts, everything's parts, parts, parts. And so I imagine parts are like, you said earlier, you know, parts are a big part of your uh, business now. It is, yeah. A lot, 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 lot of auto parts um, delivering to, so it, a lot of people think that uh, GM makes the entire vehicle there in Michigan, but <clears throat> there's a lot of different companies that do things for GM. So we're delivering to a lot of those those uh, places that are connected to GM and could be in Kentucky, Tennessee, Indiana. I think the truckers know that, but um, if, if you're not aware of that, people, people think that trucks made in Michigan. If you haven't gone to otrsolutions.com slash BTU yet, here's your reminder. I'm not sure how to say it, but factoring these guys just makes sense. They're focused on driving your success and helping you grow your company. They've gone as far as offering custom business email address setups so you can negotiate better rates with brokers. There's just so much opportunity out there, and OTR is your ticket to success. So head on over to otrsolutions.com slash BTU and check out their solutions. Yeah, one of, one of my first introductions in being educated on how that works was um, I was driving team with this guy, and we went to um, a plastic bead factory in Kentucky. Uh, outside his hometown and they make like the little tiny pellets and what what we did with that stuff is we took it from kentucky to compton california where it gets put on a shipping container and then sent overseas to korea where it's smashed together and makes uh quarter panels for kias and then those same shipping containers that they send the plastic over with are then loaded up with uh completed cars and then sent back uh back into compton from uh, Kia or from uh, from Korea. Wow! Uh, so it's really cool how, to see how like a town in Kentucky is responsible for making the parts that go into building a vehicle in Korea, and then it's brought all over. Now that that went on perfectly for for decades, and then COVID kind of threw <laughs> sand in the gears, and we we're watching it all mm-hmm. grind to a screeching halt. But that's it's very you know, fascinating. Guys like come in because then you're, you're yeah yeah it's all interconnected. And that's why when you when you see volume say in china dropping off a cliff you know that you know in a few months time that's going to impact us here um what do you are you paying attention to anything right now that's going to be impacting you in the future that you're ready to uh take head on i really don't have an answer for that question <laughs> if you do you, you would you know, be a very wealthy man <laughs> it's, it's hard to say what's gonna what's going on in in, in china and and asia but it certainly does affect us a couple couple months mm-hmm. time and it's here it comes you don't want to yeah. you don't you, you see it happen and you don't want to believe it a couple months happen and and here we're we're feeling it rooster what was like your first like aha moment when you realized like oh all of this really is just like one big chain like what what was something you picked up that you would never would have thought of and you realized oh it's going to impact something on the other side of the world uh i think it was probably most probably the first time I picked up like uh, a bulk copper off of uh, Port of Panama City Beach, Florida, you know, that copper had come from South America. And I was mm-hmm. like, there's, why are we sourcing copper from South America? Well, we we got copper mines in here in the U.S. And, you know, uh, that's kind of like my, was my first big step into, you know, this is a whole big world, a whole big uh, set of gears. And, one gear starts turning, it forces the rest of the gears to turn. And, you know, if you get one gear breaks the t- tooth off, it starts hiccuping everything along the chain, you know? Mm-hmm. I would see that all the time in Florida during hurricane seasons. We would, so grocery stores in Florida, most people don't know this, but if they're built before the, the 1980s, the insides of the stores are very small, but then the back storage areas are huge. And today it's the complete opposite. They want, giant open spaces inside the stores with very, very, very little backstock because what they want is everything ordered on demand. You know, if, if you have a couple of cases of water left on your shelf, no problem. You just scan it with your, with your scanner gun and it shows up on the next truck. Uh, but then every hurricane season, everything just gets wiped. And so when people come in and they, they're asking us, do you have anything in the back? Do you have anything in the back? It's like, nope, everything you see is what we got. Um, but then like to prep, to prepare, like if we knew a storm was coming and we had a couple of weeks notice, they would just have pallets upon pallets of, of water, toilet paper, you name it, all throughout the stores. Um, so that was like my, even before a truck, being a truck driver, I, I kind of got like a hint 
a small taste of like how the supply chain operates. But, you know, once, once you're actually the one moving the pieces around, you really see just how completely interconnected everything is. It, it's amazing. And, he, and even uh, what's, what's fascinating is every, every trucker or owner operator or company has their own experience and um, we're only a very small part of it. And you guys have uh, different experiences and uh, it's kind of enjoyable to hear, hear how everybody, um, how each person operates or, or what they haul or what they do or, or what they're seeing. It seems everybody's got a, a different story, which is, is cool. Do you have one that you can, you can share? Like what was your first, like, Oh, we got to get this over here so that this stuff can keep moving. We, I would say for us um, being expedited, we've, we've, called kind of some unique different things. It's like, oh, well, I never thought of that. Well, what would they need that for? Um, one of those for us was we, we delivered a Tyson Foods and um, they just needed a little small part that maybe the part cost a thousand bucks or something. And um, they had no problem paying a, paying a premium rate <clears throat> for it to be shipped because for Tyson Foods, it could have a hundred thousand dollars of meat on the line and, and they were shut down mm-hmm. waiting for the part. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go on these hotshot forums all the time. That's all I hear about. That's, that's exactly what those guys do. It's like factory A needs widget X, Y, Z. Otherwise it's, you know, bazillion dollars worth of product on the line that they're going to miss if they don't get it out because, you know, shopping season, whatever is just around the corner. Right. And if they don't have it moving, you know, <laughs> it's, you're talking people losing their jobs at that, at that point, really. We also they're not going to they're not going to pay people to stand around and do nothing while they're waiting on the part. You know they need that part yesterday. Right, hundred percent. We also have been doing a lot of <clears throat> work with the railroads, and you know they they yeah. um, they can't get from Omaha to to Chicago overnight, and so um, they have different rail yards, and so we've been hauling parts for them uh, between different rail yards, and that's that's kind of been fascinating as well, just to to be of support to the, to the, uh, rail cars. We had a previous guest on here who was a rail worker, Joey Cobb. And one of the things that struck out to me was how a lot of these trains are operating on just two man crews right now. And like, so if if we're in a truck and you get a flat tire and you pull over, you just, you got to wait for road service to come out and, and replace the tire. But he's like, if you're driving a two mile long train and cart 50%, down the track breaks down. You got to stop the tra- stop the train, get out, walk down there, fix it, and then walk all the way back up to the tr- the the uh, front car again. And I was like, "Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll stick to <laughs> I'll stick to driving a truck." Get a whole lot a lot more freight with the rail, but you're moving yeah. a lot slower, and if things like yeah. that happen. Well, it, and I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news this week, but there's um a problem with the rivers right now. The rivers are so low that the barges are stuck. Uh, and just like how trains move more freight, but they're slower than trucks, barges move even more freight than that, and they're even slower. But now they're pretty much you know <laughs> stuck because of because of the river. Yeah. So yeah, it's never never a dull moment in the supply chain. When when things are going good, and um, when things were going good with that, with with really everybody, and everybody was getting in to the industry, it was it's like, hey, how long is this going to last? This, uh, feels like it can last forever and now that we're in a in a downturn it's that feels like that can last forever so i think it's just a good re- reminder mm-hmm. to that nothing lasts forever and, and the freight cycle is going to keep moving what was like the first thing that caught you guys off guard that you weren't expecting um our current customers were not our current customers were just not sending as much um, freight need or, or demand which of course real quickly can can drive rates down when you get overcapacity um, and working off the spot market, most of our freight is spot market. So working off that, it Oof. can really affect the the, uh, the rates rather quickly. Yeah, Brewster's more of the sonar expert than I am. But yeah, when I see some of the graphs put out by um, our guys, I just, I'm like, oh God, it just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. How low can it go? And it has nowhere... Well, yeah, that, it's yeah. got nowhere else to go because there's there's still too many too many carriers out there. I think, right? Too many people came. Too many people came on when times are great, and either times aren't bad enough for them to run out, or it, everyone's just kind of hoping that this is like a temporary thing. Well, Bruce, you say there's, in? Yeah, well, watch. See, there's two really two big cycles in the uh, hiring and firing. 
there's the company driver slash fleet cycle, which runs about every three to four years. Uh, whenever rates go up, everybody wants to get into trucking. So you get the uh, a, a mass influx of new companies, new uh, MC dot numbers, people coming in, uh, not just drivers, you know, new brokerages, uh, new companies, new owner operators. And now that the rates have tanked, you know, because we got too many companies, you know, supply and demand, you know, basically all supply and demand, you got uh, not enough freight to handle all these companies. Then the companies that can't get freight, they're going to start starving off. And we start to get into the cycle of, of fleet cannibalization, which we're seeing not only at the low level, but at the, you know, at the mega carrier level, we've seen some really big names getting uh, balled up that you would never thought they would be interested in each other but you know look at look at uh, here goes but also about every seven years there's this there's this big owner operator cycle and guess what we're the, we're into that owner operator cycle where the you know the one truck the seven truck owner operators they're starting to fall off and that usually follows the fuel price cycle well when mm-hmm. diesel fuel is over five dollars a gallon you're not getting but barely two dollars a mile guess what what do you have after you have the bills barely enough to put food on the table that get once owner up op- that pushes owner operators to want to start going back to the companies and make carriers or leave trucking in general you no know, try to find a local job around the house so you know that's the kind of situation we're in right now with that and it's basically survival yeah. of the fittest yeah we're seeing like a, a, a merger between Two large trucking companies every like what three weeks now? Two weeks, three weeks. I've noticed that as well. Two weeks, yeah, and like some some big ones too. Like um, I'm not talking like you know Schneider and Werner or anything, but it's definitely like big one gobbling up medium sized ones. Yeah, and the the smaller ones just pack up shop and and, and go away. And that's why I try to tell these guys they're just kind of you know brushing it aside, like oh you know we've been through this, been through that. Like no, unless unless you're in like a really niche market with a really good good lane, you know you're. You're going to be hurting like everybody else if you're not paying attention here. What um, warnings or advice do you have for like other companies you know, trying to survive this right now? I'll answer that if you just give me give me uh, two seconds to just really think sure, really sure. think about it. <laughs> it's it's a tough question. Million dollar question. <laughs> advice I give to to other other carriers trying to survive in this type of market would be um, work on building a strong carrier carrier uh, base. I think having Having a strong carrier base is, is really the key to to stomach any kind of storm. Um, as, as we know, all, all the rates are, are going up for insurance, especially if you're new. Um, might have and then fuel costs, um, factoring costs. So there's so many different costs, and it's very frustrating when uh, rates seem to be going down. But having a having a customer base that um, instead of fighting with a um, hundred carriers trying to get one load. Maybe you're only um, bidding against five other carriers. So your your chances of of winning that shipment goes up significantly. So that mm. that that's what's been helpful for us. Um, find finding more of um, so, and sometimes even the smaller working with smaller brokers can can be better for us as as a carrier because there's just more more loyalty and they have a smaller carrier base. Versus working with uh, mega uh, brokers, big companies, they have such a large carrier base, and and if you don't fit within that box or get, they're looking for the lowest rate. If you don't meet the lowest rate, you're not getting the shipment. So we we found that some of our best customers are actually the smaller smaller companies, and uh, we've been able to build strong relationships in that sorts. Yeah, the relationships are critical because, you know, they don't just see you as numbers on the board. It's like, oh, it's Clayton. We know Clayton. You know, we can we can work with Clayton. Um, and that's super important in uh, troubling times. I think um, another tactic we've been using is just trying to follow up. Of course, there's when you, when you ha- when you work with so many different companies, sometimes you can forget, hey, we, we haven't seen uh, many requests from this customer. And so uh, we've mm-hmm. gone back to even the last two years of who have we worked with and what do they um, have for, for availability. And sometimes they just need a reminder of your company or, or they need to be reminded that, hey, we're still here. Um, you guys, 
how you guys doing and, and um, so that's that's been key for us as well also um, we actually just had our quarterly meeting here this last Saturday and uh, we, we haven't launched it yet but we're discussing uh, a, a program uh, because when, when we go into build sales or, or uh, bring on new customers uh, there's so many carriers and brokers that they that they feel okay well we don't we don't know what your communication is we don't know how you guys operate and so they typically just want to shoot you off because they're getting a call the next day and so we want to begin offering a, um, a guarantee or it's free uh, model and um, for, for new mm. customers so just so that we can build the and I, it's not necessarily an easy easy uh, task for us to maybe to, to do but it allows new customers to get a flavor of our uh, services and which um, definitely pay off in the long run if we have to uh, take care of something. And, and tip, typically we, we have a very high on-time delivery, but uh, it's just an extra kind of offer to new customers to get a flavor of our services. So we're, we're hoping to launch that here real soon. Modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So how do the drivers fit into this situation like that? Are they, so as drivers, our favorite way of being basically managed is decentral, what I call decentralized ownership. You know, you're, you're hired, you're professional, here's a job, here's what's expected of you, go do it. And then if you don't meet certain standards, then we have to bring you in and take corrective action and go forward. Um, but what we see with like a lot of mega carriers is it's just micromanaging like every little thing. I mean, you have, cameras in the trucks and cameras facing in the cab and, you know, the tablets beeping at you and your, your dispatchers texting you and calling you and stuff. They're not letting you just do the work. Um, is that what you're, is that how you handle your drivers or do you guys like, are you guys more of like on the, like the micromanage side? We, we, um, we, we are looking into, uh, this service actually that <clears throat> will allow us to communicate better with, with our, our driver. Currently, we, we use a centralized um, phone number that, that they can call or text at any time, and somebody's always monitoring that. But what we want to do is um, we want to have a uh, solution that the driver can better communicate with dispatch. Um, with 75 drivers, it can be a lot to, to manage, and um, mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're fill, f- fulfilling um, just open line of communication to our drivers. Um, I spent some time on the road, and it's um, so some sometimes it's tough, especially if you got things going on back home. It's nice to to um, have open line of communication um, for for the drivers. I we we my dad often brings up a story that sometimes drivers feel like they're throwaway people, and um, we want to make mm-hmm. sure that that's not the case mm-hmm. um, because it's there's a that's America. America runs on it, and it's it's very necessary. And each job really is fulfilling different parts of the supply chain. So we've been trying to invest more into uh, communication with our drivers, and invest into, like we talked earlier, retention, uh, so that so the driver feels comfortable and that they can continue to operate. Last time we were at OTR Solutions, we had a little fun with Justin. Uh... We sat down, we uh, set up J-Mart Trucking. Well, today, let's have a little f- fun again. Let's set up uh, J-Mart Expedited. So, right. uh, Clayton, how would Justin get into the expedited business? Let's start off with the basis. How is he going to get himself a Sprinter van? How is he going to get himself a Sprinter van? Well, I would I would work with a local, uh, typically a local uh, dealer, commercial dealer. There's different types of vans. Um, whether it's a uh, Mercedes or Ford makes a Ford Transit, um, Dodge, they, they've got their model. And now what, what you can do... Nissan even has one. Oh, that's right. Nissan has one. So it's really preference. I would say do your research on, on what you like. There's different dimensions and designs. And what's cool is there, there are companies that then will take the chassis for you. If you order the chassis, they can put a custom um, box... On on the back there to give to give more room for uh, whether it's sleeping or, or more room for freight. 
So you have this, the, say, the Ford Transit chassis, but you've got a little bit larger box um, for your benefit. So definitely recommend looking into things like that. All right, so I got this nice souped-up Sprinter van. How do I start making money with it? How do you start making money with it? Um, the the expedite industry, it, it's such a niche market. It's kind of a, uh, I would say, a hush-hush. Uh, if, you, if you don't know about it, it's people people won't tell you <laughs> tell you what to do. <laughs> so I'll be careful what I say here. But um, I'd recommend spending some time si- signing on with a carrier um, to it is a little bit different than um, driving a, a big rig, of course. So I always recommend getting experience with with uh, uh, a carrier to make sure it's something you enjoy, something you like, before fully investing into it. And if, if it is something you, you love, I, I recommend uh, investing into it because it's never a dull moment and it, it's enjoyable. Uh, going into the cost of doing business, you know, insurance is a massive part of otr trucking uh you have your bobtail insurance you have your laden insurance uh additional cargo insurance which we're seeing a lot of drivers and a lot of different companies not have enough insurance to cover the cargo and guess what cargo gets stolen cargo gets damaged beyond uh reclamation you yeah that's got to get paid out of the insurance account uh what types of insurance is there involved in expedited i know you're not dealing with a 70 foot tractor trailer with 80,000 pounds of weight. Uh, how much are those premiums? You know, we have the, you know, congressionally mandated $2 million policy for the insurance now to deal with. Uh, what is there a mandated insurance amount for sprinters? Uh, t- typically the, the requirements come from the broker or the customer. So of course you get the, your hundred thousand in, in cargo. And so you may not have the requirements from, the DOT, but you will have requirements from your customers to, to meet those needs. And, and insurance premiums can be in the Sprinter van business anywhere from five to ten thousand uh, a unit annually, just just for general uh, liability. And uh, you get cargo, and uh, we've we've now recently our insurance agent recommended that we get an, an overage because the, the standard fatal crash is now. Two million dollars, and so this year yeah. we've just we've just got that overage to to make sure we're covered, and it's it's unfortunate, but it's so, something to just for protection that I, I'd recommend to anybody. I was wasn't aware of that, and getting a as for insurance, I would highly recommend working with uh, an agent that has experience in the in the trucking industry, and there's a lot of them that do. Um, we Worked with a small carrier, uh, small small insurance um, agent, and of course we were a small carrier at the time. But we worked with a local agent, and um, as we've grown, he, he, we needed further expertise, and so we've uh, very very thankful that we've we found that um, not only to make sure you have the right coverage, but to pos- potentially get better rates, and uh, for, for future if if you want to grow and plan to grow there's other insurance to consider. And one thing we always want to bring up cargo insurance, you know, there was that, you know, crime of the century robbery out in California where the Brinks truck was robbed Mm -hmm. of, you know, multiple millions of dollars of jewelry. And the vendors that own the jewelry only had like the, you know, the uh, statutory minimum, like a hundred thousand dollar policy, but here they got uh, 10 times, hundred times the value being robbed and you know drivers need to take into account you know if i'm hauling you know just a couple of pallets of paper bags or boxes you know it's regular freight you don't have to worry about it but if you get like a specialized load like a medical load that could you know be you know run up into the hundreds of thousands or a million dollars of medication or airplane aircraft parts which would be you know several hundred several tens of thousands of dollars make sure to have the right amount of uh, insurance case something happens, you know, and you know, you know, God forbid, accident, and that cargo gets messed up, and you gotta, you know, handle that replacement. But uh, what can I jump in here? Yeah, go right ahead. When uh, I think it's important important for um, for carriers to know that when you are doing 
high value shipments that your entire policy doesn't have to change to that, that you can get insurance uh, just for that specific run or that specific customer. Um, that's important to understand as well. So maybe that you need that coverage for two, three days while that shipment's being done, but then you're able to, to notch that back down. And if you're working with a good yeah, agent. temporary deal, riders. Right. Uh, I'm glad I never had to handle any of that stuff because, you know, the, not me personally, the company I was driving for, but when I was hauling the, the munitions, um, we would run into other sprinter van operations and they would tell us other places they'd, they'd been. And, you know, some of these guys also haul uh, pharmaceuticals, fine art and stuff. And I'm just like, I, the insurance premiums on those loads must be astronomical, but you need them. You know, you'd rather have it than, than not have it. Uh, like, like Rusty said, God forbid something happens. Mm-hmm. For sure. Clayton, you have any advice for new drivers thinking about coming into the business? You know, uh, is expedited looking good toward the future being a, a profitable business or would you recommend them try to find a company to work for instead of going in by themselves as an owner op? I would def- I would I would definitely recommend going into working with uh, another company before putting your life savings or uh, investing big dollars into it because it is a big investment and you, you want to make sure you're you're protecting yourself and that you enjoy it. I think going forward, expedited is a great uh, niche to get into because, like like you guys were saying, it, people want want it now. They want they want um, they want it on demand. And I think only more of that's mm-hmm. gonna gonna keep coming here. So I, I think the need will definitely be there. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Clayton, where can people find out more about your company and about you on the social media? Yeah, we we have a website. It's C five, so the letter C number five C five expedite dot com. We also do have a Facebook page and Instagram that we regularly post um, different articles there. So. Welcome to uh, drivers or customers. Um, you can get you can get quotes. You can uh, request to be a part of our newsletter. Um, or if you're a driver looking for freight, you're welcome to uh, go to our website and go to Google, check out the reviews, and get a hold of us. Love to have you part of the team. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. I'm James Rustabone here with just Super Trucker Martin and Clayton Dramston of C5 Expedite and C5 Logistics. And we will catch you guys down the road. <laughs>